This morning we're going to be uh, unpacking the next few verses in Matthew chapter 7. So I want to go ahead and invite you to turn over there. And I want to remind you, especially if you're visiting with us, uh, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love for you to have one of the Bibles we've provided at the middle of each aisle. If you're not sitting on the end, just flag somebody down or whistle at them or do what you've got to do to get their attention and have them pass it down to you and then take that with you. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about what you read there, especially we'd love to talk to you about what we're going to discuss today. We're at a very pivotal place in the sermon that's had a bigger impact on the history of the world than any other sermon that's ever been preached. One of the most important parts of all of the Bible, certainly one of the most well-known, but often one of the most misunderstood. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest portion of Jesus' teaching that's been been handed down to us, the longest portion that's recorded anywhere in the Bible. And we've almost reached the end of it. We've been plodding our way along, slowly but surely, verse by verse, all the way through. And now we've reached the last part of the sermon where Jesus is calling for decision. He's not unpacking anything else. He's done explaining himself. He's done telling you what the kingdom is like. Now he's making a direct appeal to his listeners who heard him give it with their own ears from his own mouth and to all of us who've had access to the sermon ever since. He's speaking to us and he's calling on us to decide. What are you going to do with what Jesus has said? Now, we, uh, we saw last week that Jesus framed this choice with the first of several different images and Last week's image was the difference between a, a narrow way that's hard, injured by a narrow gate, where, where few people are on the path with you, and a broad way, entered by a wide gate, where you can come in as part of the crowd and have the assurance of people patting you on the back for what you're doing. An easy way that's smooth, but one of them ends in life, and one of them ends in absolute, total destruction. In the passage we're coming to this morning, Jesus steps forward and warns us to be careful who we listen to while we pursue this narrow way. He's put the narrow way and the broad way in front of us. He's called us to choose the narrow way, enter through the narrow gate onto this narrow way, but he knows that his voice is not the last one that his friends are going to hear. The text this morning takes us into the subject of leadership and how important it is to be careful who you're listening to even as you push onto the narrow path. Because what Jesus knew, what history has proven true, and what's true even for us now, is that there will be some people who look like they're on the narrow path. Some people who are claiming to be with Jesus. Some people who seem like they actually want what's good for you. But who are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. Or to use Jesus' language, are actually false prophets. The passage this morning is going to help us because we're in the position Jesus is imagining here. He's looking ahead to a time when he's not going to be here anymore. And he's talking to his friends about who they should listen to after he's gone. And in that sense, he's talking directly to us. To those of us who don't have Jesus speaking words that we can hear with our own ears. Who are having to make good choices now on the basis of what he said a long time ago. So this passage, is all of God's word is for us. But there's a sense in which this one is directly aimed at our situation. In between the time when Jesus has come and when he comes again. Who are we going to listen to? How can we be sure that we're listening to people who want to help us and not hurt us? The Bible is really positive about leadership in the church. It's full of language and they're celebrating it. Jesus never imagined a church where everybody fends for themselves 
or everyone has to be at the equal level of spiritual maturity. He knew that leadership was going to be important for us to grow. And so lots of places in the Bible celebrate it. It's a big focus in Jesus' teaching. It comes up later in Matthew. And and it's also in the letters of the people that Jesus left behind to build the church. There's positive examples in Paul's letter called 1 Timothy. It's in 1 Peter. It's in Hebrews, where where Christian leadership is put on this pedestal that's healthy. and, And we're told to look to leaders and follow them. They're given to you as a gift from God. But the Bible also warns us against people who claim to be with us and for us, but ultimately will lead us astray. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're responsible not only to submit to godly leadership, you're you're also responsible to evaluate the leaders that you're following. If you're not a Christian this morning, and you're thinking about it, you're evaluating Jesus and whether or not this way is for you, then what you need to know is that you've got to be really, really careful who's representing Jesus to you as you consider whether to follow him. Because not everybody who claims to speak for Jesus speaks the truth. And this morning, we're going to focus on what Jesus calls false prophets. That's not something we focus on very often. It's a little bit of an unusual day in that sense. It's a, a byproduct of the fact that we just take these scriptures as they come. We take a big section and we just work through it verse by verse. We don't really choose in that sense what it is we're going to talk about and what it is that we're not. And today Jesus is talking about false prophets. So that's what we're going to talk about, even though it's a little bit unusual for us. I'm not going to generalize this text. I'm not going to try to apply it to you necessarily as if you're a false prophet. Maybe you are. Hopefully you'd be convicted if you are. But I'm not going to try to generalize it and make it relevant to you know, our everyday in that sense. Jesus talks a lot about fruit and the need for fruit in your life. I'm not going to talk about the need for fruit in your life, even though other passages do talk about that. We're going to take what Jesus focuses on and focus only on that. What are these false prophets that he's talking about? And how can I recognize them so that I don't get led astray by them? That's it for this morning. We're going to take a careful look at the danger of unhealthy leadership and all of our responsibility to avoid it, and how we can be on guard against it. Now, I want to start by reading the passage, so I'm going to invite you now to stand with me in honor of God's Word while I read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. This is the Word of the Lord. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by your fruits. This is God's word. You can be seated. So two questions. Only two questions this morning. Who are these false prophets? And how can we recognize them? You notice when we read that passage together, Jesus starts this section with another command. Last week's command was, enter by the narrow gate. This week's command is, beware of the false prophets. And he doesn't elaborate much. 
he ex- except to, to describe them as wolves in sheep's clothing. He doesn't, he doesn't elaborate much on who he's talking about. I think he assumed that the people he was speaking to would have been familiar with that language. They would have known what he was talking about. So what we want to do to make sure we understand what he's talking about is kind of put ourselves into their shoes, understand the background in the Old Testament that they would have known and assumed so that then we can see who Jesus is talking about here. We're going to, talk, we're going to, we're going to try to highlight two things that stand out from what Jesus says here and what he's drawing from the Old Testament to help us know who these false prophets are. Two different marks, if you will. Here's the first one. Who are these false prophets that Jesus is talking about? Well, a false prophet, first of all, is somebody who claims to speak for God but really speaks for himself. A false prophet is is one who claims to speak for God but really speaks for himself. Prophets were huge in the Old Testament. They were a really, really big deal. I mean, there was Jeremiah, there was Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, the, the, the 12 minor prophets. And those are just the ones that have books named after them in the Old Testament. Then the history books of the Old Testament also have a bunch of other prophets. They were a huge part of how God led his people. They were especially important in that time during the Old Testament when there weren't that many things written down yet. You know, the, the, the word of God that's now collected and put into the Bible for us to be able to read it wasn't all on paper yet. So the prophets were, were really, really important for speaking words from God to his people so they knew what, what was expected of them when they didn't have holy, as many holy books to fall back on. One person described it like this. The, the, the prophet, it was his job to represent God to the people. The priest's job was to represent the people to God. So in the temple... With all these sacrifices being made, that was the priest standing on behalf of the people, appealing to God based on his covenant with them to, to love them, to be for them, not to punish them even though they were sinful. The priests represent the people to God. The prophet went the other direction, represented God to the people. The prophet is one who spoke on behalf of God, especially when they were in danger of judgment. Prophets were a big deal in the Old Testament, but they, the Old Testament also gives a lot of attention to false prophets. Now, if a prophet was one who spoke for God to the people, the false prophet was one who claimed to speak for God to the people, but really just spoke for themselves. They used God, in other words, as a cloak for the things they really wanted to do, for the things that they really wanted to say. I want to give you one example here so you can see where this is coming from. I'm, surely Jesus had this in mind, and his hearers probably would have too. It's actually worth flipping over to it. So if you will, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23, just for a second. I want to, I want to point you to this one section where false prophets are talked about. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 16. Jeremiah said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds. You see it? That's the key phrase. They're speaking from their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For... Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear His word or has paid attention to His word and listened? You see that? What is a false prophet? Someone who speaks from their own mind rather than from the mouth of the Lord. 
someone who speaks what they want to speak, not one who stood in the counsel of the Lord to see Him and to hear His word or pay attention to His word and listen. A false prophet is somebody who claims God's authority for the things he just wanted to say anyway. And you can see why there's such a danger here, right? I mean, think of the false prophet as the kid who tells her younger sister that mom said it was okay to get an ice cream sandwich out of the freezer when mom didn't say it was okay to get an ice cream sandwich out of the freezer. That kid is trying to get her sister in trouble. There is wrath to follow. A false prophet is one who, who's leading people to destruction. False prophets are those who claim to speak for God but really just speak for themselves. That's the first thing that Jesus has in mind when he says, beware of the false prophets. The second thing that he has in mind comes out of his wolf in sheep's clothing image, and it's this. False prophets seem to be for you, but really, they just want to use you. False prophets seem like they're for you, when really, they just want to use you. This is a famous image, this wolf in sheep's clothing. It's powerful, isn't it? Unforgettable. Jesus is great at these. It kind of reminds me of the hypocrite that he's been talking about earlier in this sermon, only this one's even more sinister. The hypocrite that he's been talking about is a play actor, somebody who wears a mask, who pretends to be one thing when really they're another thing. This is another version of hypocrisy, only this one's even more sinister and dangerous because the false prophet pretends to be innocent, cuddly, friendly when inwardly he's bent on destruction he aims to devour presents as somebody who's for you innocent and harmless maybe not as cute and sanitized and sentimental as our precious moments figurines or what have you but still innocent still harmless part of the flock one of the crowd that's how he presents in sheep's clothing Maybe a modern version of that it would be, you know, he's got, he's got a nice soft voice and a big toothy smile. Conventional clothing and maybe a nice head of well-maintained hair. Looks normal, pleasant, positive, friendly. That's how the false prophets appear, but in reality, they're not part of the flock. They're hungry. They're bent on exploitation. When they see vulnerability, they pounce. They're not looking to lead you or guide you or help you. They're not even looking to join you, be among you and of you. They're looking to use you as a means to their own ends. Maybe these false prophets are trying to get something financial from you. That's how they pad their bank accounts or live the lifestyle that they want to live. Maybe it's how they make themselves feel accomplished in life. What they do with and for you and their leadership is how they feel successful. Maybe it's an existential thing. They need to feel needed. They're in your life because they really want you to depend on them and not on others. But no matter where it's coming from, no matter what their end game is, with a false prophet, you are always a means to some other end. Their connection to you is more about you about them than it is about you. So, so who are these false prophets? They're among the greatest dangers that any of us ever face. 
Life and death hang on whether we hear God and respond obediently to His authority over us. Jesus has said that. The whole Bible says that same thing over and over. Life and death hangs in the balance over whether we hear God and respond to Him with obedience and humility. And we all need help to see and hear God more clearly than we do, but there are those who would claim to help us and actually lead us to death. Those who would make a meal out of us rather than lead us to feast on God and all that God has prepared. That's who these false prophets are. How can we recognize them? That's really the key question, isn't it? Knowing who they are helps us maybe snap out of apathy and start paying attention. Protects us from thinking that everyone who might speak to us is for us and good to listen to. But the real question is, once we've woken up and we're looking and paying attention, how do we recognize these false prophets when they show up? How can we avoid them, given that this danger is is as big as it is? Jesus wants to equip us this morning to heed his warning against these prophets. That's what this text is mostly about. Verses 16 to 20 are all about recognizing them. The rest of the verses lay out how we can see them and recognize that they'd harm us rather than help us. Switches here from the metaphor of sheep and wolves to that of trees and fruit. Did you notice that? Kind of mixing his metaphors a little bit, but this one works great too. Jesus is so good at these images. Switches to trees and fruit. If you want to understand and recognize somebody who doesn't want to help you, but really wants to hurt you, then you need to notice what kind of fruit they're bearing. Now, I want to walk you through this metaphor, and then we're going to press in on what it actually is. Let me make sure that the metaphor is clear. Look at verse 16. Get straight at the all-important question. How can we tell a sheep-dressed wolf is really a wolf? If he's inside the community, if, if on the outside he looks like he's part of the community, how can I tell that he's not? Jesus says, verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruits. The fruit is everything. Then he goes on to explain. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes, are they? If it's a grape that you're gathering, then it's a vine. It's a grapevine that it's hanging from. The grape is how you know it's a vine. If it's a fig that you're gathering and eating, that's a sign that what this plant is is not a thistle. Thistles don't bear figs. It's a fig tree. If you're gathering grapes, what you've got is a grapevine. If you're gathering figs, what you've got is a fig tree. What Jesus says is, you'll recognize the character of the people who would lead you by the fruit that they're bearing. The fruit doesn't lie. Words can lie. That happens all the time. Fruit doesn't lie. The fruit is the sign of the character of the thing that produces the fruit. So, he continues, every healthy tree is going to bear good fruit. A diseased tree is going to bear bad fruit. And it doesn't, vice versa. It's always the same. The pattern never changes. There's no way a good fruit can bear diseased fruit. There's no way a bad tree, there's no way a good tree can bear diseased fruit. No way that a bad or diseased tree can bear good fruit. So there's always a connection between the character of the thing and what it produces. So what sort of fruit shows the false prophets are false? That's the question now, isn't it? Everything comes down to this. What sort of fruit shows that the false prophet is false? And if Jesus is trying to tell us to be really careful who we're listening to, to evaluate what we're hearing, 
Who we're being led by. What kind of fruit should we be looking for? What kind of fruit tells us that the person we're hearing would connect us to God rather than to themselves? Would help us and not use us? The clues are in the context of this sermon and what Jesus says about fruit in other places in Matthew. I want to give it to you as two tests. Two kinds of fruit that you should be looking for in the lives and in the teachings of the people that would lead you. There's the fruit that comes in the character or quality of life of the person that's leading you. And there's the fruit that comes in the teaching or doctrine of the person that's leading you. Those are the two tests. What does their life look like? What's their character? And then what kind of teaching are they offering? I'm going to say more about each of those tests, okay? There's the life test and the doctrine test. The the character test and the, the teaching test. Those are the fruits that Jesus has in mind based on what he, he says here and in other places through this gospel. I'm going to start with this first one. Fruit, look for fruit in their character, their quality of life. It's one of Jesus' favorite themes in this sermon. The, the importance of the heart as a source of somebody's behavior that truly pleases God. Jesus has talked a lot of, uh, against people who would just sort of tack on good things to the outside, would pray in public, stringing together a lot of empty phrases, but really not ever praying when they're all alone in the privacy of their home, or somebody who would give to the poor as long as everyone's looking, you know, as long as it comes with a plaque in the new facility, as long as it's tweetable. They'll they'll, they'll give as long as somebody's watching, but they don't actually just give if they happen to see somebody in need and, and and it's private, no one else would see. Jesus has been talking about the importance of an inward Righteousness, not just an outward righteousness. The the outward is a fruit of the inward. That's what Jesus has in mind here when he's talking about fruits. He's talking about someone whose character, their heart, is righteous. What matters is what the heart loves and produces in somebody's life. And when the heart, whatever the heart loves, will show up in the kind of things that the person does. There's plenty of clues to what Jesus has in mind if you just look through the sermon we've been considering together. I mean, let's just take the Beatitudes. I mean, let me give you some questions here that you can ask of the fruit in the life of the people who are leading you or who, who you may listen to just based on the Beatitudes, the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5. This is where Jesus is laying out the character of people who are going to be in his kingdom. You want to be able to tell if the person that you're following is part of this kingdom. So that means they're going to need to have this character. What should be true about their life? Ask these kind of questions. Is this person that you would listen to poor in spirit? In other words, are they genuinely humble? Are they aware that they have nothing to offer anyone except what God has given them? That they are not the solution to anyone else's problem? Does the person that you would listen to or follow mourn over sin? Not just over the sin and brokenness of the world, but over their own sin? Do they speak to you as someone who seems to clearly understand they need Jesus too? Or do they talk more about the sins of others as if they were experts on what's wrong with everybody else and never their own sins? 
Are they meek? In other words, are they, are they not easily offended by other people? Are they not protective of their own interests or their reputation or quickly put on the defensive? How do they respond to the flaws of others? Remember Jesus talking about mercy and peace? When other people show their flaws, is the leader merciful or is he vindictive, demanding satisfaction? Does he seek peace or does he stir up conflict? Does he love drama or does he love to see it come to an end? Does conflict and division and hurt feelings seem to follow in his wake? Does he seem to often have problems with people? Or is he a peacemaker? Is he surprised when people oppose him? Or does he understand that Jesus has said in his kingdom, the persecuted are blessed? That if you're with Jesus, persecution is to be expected. I'll jump out of the Beatitudes into the, uh, the other qualities that Matthew chapter 5 puts in front of us. Does the person that you're following or listening to, how does, how, does, how does this person handle his anger? Does he have consistent victory over lust? Is his marriage stable? Is he a man of his word? Does he love his enemies? Does he hold back from retaliating against those who've done him wrong? Does he seem judgmental towards other people? Or does he enter into their weaknesses and flaws with them? These are the sorts of questions that you should ask of people that you would listen to or follow. Because if they're really with Jesus, if they do belong in his kingdom, this is the kind of fruit their lives will bear. A good good tree produces good fruit. That's fruit in their quality of life or their character. There's another test, though. This is where we want to end. Another test that you should give for those that you would listen to or follow to make sure that you're not subject to a false prophet in your life. You should pay close attention to their teaching or their doctrine. I think this test is really especially important where this passage falls in Jesus' sermon. Because the passage we looked at last week, the verses just before these verses, they're calling people to choose a way that's hard. They're warning people against a way that leads to destruction. Not all ways are created equal. They're putting in front of you a real choice with life and death hanging in the balance. Now now Jesus is saying, be careful who you're listening to because he knows that there are people who would want to minimize the choice. Who would want to assure you that the easy road is not anything to be worried about. That God did not say you would die. Surely. In this context, Jesus is talking about a prophet who would represent God to his people but turn people away from the very choice Jesus has just put in front of them. When you evaluate people you're listening to, here's what you need to be asking of them. Does this person love and represent what God has said? Does he do his best to get behind it? To wrap his words in those words? To sit under it as a student? Try to submerge what he's saying within what God's word holds out to us? Does he promote other voices and leaders besides himself? 
Or is he really protective of people? Does he really want you to feel like you can't do without him? If, 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 if a leader's teaching is trying to win followers for himself, if it's creating the sense that you can't do without what he offers, then you've got yourself a false prophet. Because what's important is that you follow him. Not that you follow God's word, which is available to all of God's people and is, and is funneled to us through all of his people. There's open access to this word. You want to know if the person you're listening to feels like he's got something no one else has. That's a sign that, that's a, that it's a false prophet. What you want is somebody who's just a conduit for what God has said, for making it accessible and understandable or emphasizing something new or insightful or groundbreaking that maybe you haven't seen that's in the Word, not in what He brings, but in what He opens up for you. I want to push this one, one layer deeper. Here's the test. The test is, does this person that I would listen to or follow teach in a way that submits to God's Word, that upholds God's Word and tries to expose it to us rather than, than His own teaching? Here's one, one deeper layer to this critical test. The kind of fruit that we're looking for. Maybe you picked up on this when we read from Jeremiah earlier, from Jeremiah 23. One of the things about false prophets that Jeremiah points to is that they they say to people who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. Did you pick up on that? This is Jeremiah 23. He's defining what the false prophets say. He says the false prophets come to somebody who despises God's word, who doesn't want what God says, and tells them, don't sweat it. It'll all be well with you. Or, Jeremiah continues, to those who stubbornly follow their own heart, the false prophet says, no disaster shall come upon you. No worries. In other words, the false prophet that Jeremiah has in mind is someone who tells people, just go with what feels right. Do what comes naturally to you. If you want it, it must be who you are. So just go with it. God would never hold you accountable for doing something that feels right to yourself, that seems core to who you are. No disaster will come upon you. They don't emphasize the hardness of the narrow way, the pruning effect of the narrow gate that strips away things we would hold on to, but that would keep us from Christ. Here's the way it's put in another part of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah wrote, From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. What's the mark of this false prophet he's worried about? Here's what he says. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Jeremiah defines a false prophet here based on a light healing to a deep wound. Someone who's showing unrest, maybe conviction, dissatisfaction, or pain. The signs that they know something about what they want or how they're behaving isn't quite right. The false prophet goes to them and instead of helping them press in, And bring the word of God into their situation. He would put a band-aid over that wound. 
and promise them there's nothing to worry about. Peace. Peace. Even when there is no peace. Even when what's coming is destruction. Did you get that from Jeremiah? In both places we looked at, what the false prophets did was reassure people and tell them they're not in any danger. That no one requires from them anything other than what their heart wants already. They see a wound and they heal it lightly. Not by bringing God into it, but maybe by telling them they're not wounded in the first place. There's nothing wrong here. Friends, the false prophets always come in sheep's clothing. They sound great. They seem caring. They talk a lot about love and peace. They may even try to convince you that portions of God's word that challenge what seems right to you, what seems natural to you, portions of God's word that don't sit well with you, they may even try to convince you that those portions are out of place. That they were binding in one time for one people, but not anymore. That they were part of a specific time and place when God made concessions to what people already thought. But that he would never expect of people living now in our time. They may try to play God's love against his other attributes that come out of the Bible. Things like his justice or his holiness or even his anger against sin. Think about the false prophets as those who would appeal to you from the broad way. Because, friends, there's no fame in winning people to the narrow way. Few people walk on that way, and it's a hard way. Few will thank you for bringing them into it. Few will listen to you when you appeal to them for it. To confront people with the danger that they're in, like Jesus did, that's always going to be unpleasant and alienating and unpopular. For a false prophet, for somebody who would rather use people than heal them, it's a deal breaker. You won't hear a false prophet communicate God's word to you when they know that you're not going to like what God said. A false prophet may be orthodox in some of their teaching, but do nothing to confront people with the need to submit to God and press toward Him. They'd rather make people feel good about themselves, minimize the need for grace and holiness, and assure people that they're fine as they are. Because you know what? They're in it for themselves. And people like it when you say things like that to them. But that's not gracious. That's not loving. It's a counterfeit version. It's a wolf dressed up like a sheep. And it keeps people from their need for Jesus. Because when we tell people that they're fine, as they are, when we refuse to challenge people to bring what comes natural to them under what God has called for. When we do that, well, Jesus has told us that the persecuted are those who are blessed. 
for a reason. I think the last, one way to summarize the test that you should be giving to the, to, to the prophets in your life, if you will, to those who, who are leading you or guiding you, who are representing God's words to you, I think a simple way to summarize these tests is to think, who is Jesus to them personally? And who is Jesus in their teaching? Who is Jesus to them in their own life? Do they see that they need him? That they are sinners? That they have nothing to offer to God or to anyone else that doesn't come to them as a gift from Jesus? Are they daily pressing after him because they have nowhere else to go? Who is Jesus to them personally? Is he both a savior and a Lord in their life? And who is Jesus in their teaching? Do you need Jesus for what they're asking you to do? Are they treating you like a sinner who has no hope of standing before God apart from Christ wrapping them up as they stand? Do they treat Jesus as someone who speaks to all of us as a, as a Lord and a master? As, a, as one who represents a kingdom where we must bend our will to His? Is that the Jesus that comes through in their teaching? Or is He just the ladder to some sort of higher awareness of self? Some sort of higher plane of living that once you've gotten there, the ladder's no longer necessary anymore? Is Jesus merely a means to an end? Or is he a savior who comes down to death on a cross for sinners without any other hope? Is he a Lord who claims those sinners for his own and gives them life and hope under his authority? Who is Jesus to them? And who is Jesus in their teaching? Those are the questions I think Jesus in this passage encourages us to ask of anyone we would listen to anyone we would follow. And it's questions that you should be asking even of the elders in your own congregation, members of Trinity. You are responsible to pray for and to follow, but also to lovingly and carefully evaluate those that God has put into your church. And one of the things that I think that you can do that's most productive and most fruitful would be to every week apply this kind of test to the care that you're getting from the men God has put in your life to lead you. To to pray, to ask really good questions, to listen attentively to his word as it comes to you each, each week. And then to help one another sniff out false prophets where they show up and resist them, knowing that everything hangs on it. This is a, a test that's, I think, clear enough But applying it well is one that takes more wisdom, more grace, more clarity than what we can muster on our own. So I want to pray now before we continue to respond to this word. Pray that God would help us, that he would protect us, and he would make us wise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for warning us. We don't always like to hear warnings. Not always sure exactly how to handle them or respond to them, but we know that they come to us because you love us, because you would not let us slip without seeing it into error and danger. I pray that this morning's word would be one that would bounce around in our heads, that then it would land in our hearts and help us to be sensitive by instinct to what it is we're hearing and who it is that we're following. 
I pray that you would protect all of us from putting anyone on a pedestal or from seeking from anyone else anything other than Jesus and his word to us. Help us to recognize where we're being helped and where we might be led astray. And I pray that you would make our community one that's careful, one that's positive and affirming of leadership, that's, that's seeking to follow leadership as a gift from your hand, but that's also careful in evaluating those that you've put in our lives. That's a, that's a balance that is, it requires a tremendous amount of wisdom. Please help us to have it. Teach it to us, we pray, and protect us so that we continue to press on after Jesus in a way that makes you happy and that brings you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.